Thank you, Nate. That was perfect. <laughs> Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Awesome. Well, my name's Janelle, and I'm... Hi. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that, but hello. Uh, I'm super, super thankful to be given the opportunity to speak here this morning. Today, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Luke, and we're going to be reading chapter 24 today. The 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 verses that we're covering today are following two travelers. And these are two travelers who were followers of Jesus and they're on their way home after following Jesus and they're really struggling with the disappointment of Jesus' death on the cross. That's a struggle for them. They're trying to figure that out, that disappointment. And disappointment is something that I don't think is unique to just these two travelers we're reading about today. I think each one of us has probably faced disappointment in some level or another in our lives. Disappointment's an interesting word to me because it can mean such a wide range of emotions. There's mild forms of disappointment. For example, this week I went to a restaurant and I got a burrito and it was not as good as I hoped it would be. And I was disappointed. I said to my husband, I'm disappointed with this burrito. Now that's about the most mild form of disappointment I can think of. I wasn't sitting in the restaurant crying out to God, God, where are you? This, this, this burrito's not as good as I wanted it to be. No, it was close. <laughs> he saw me, no. And uh, no, that's pretty mild. You know, that's a pretty mild form of disappointment. In fact, I wasn't so disappointed that I didn't eat the burrito. I ate the whole thing. I'm a proud American after all. But then there's, you know, there's different levels to disappointment. If we take that maybe to the next level up, we think about that disappointment if our car battery dies and we're not expecting it. We know that feeling of, ugh, I had plans to go somewhere, do something. I had to get to work or my kid's soccer game, and this car battery has died. Or that disappointment of, I don't have the money in my bank account to pay for this car battery. You know, figuring out that disappointment, asking God, where are you in this disappointment? You knew that this mattered to me. You knew that this was important, yet this happened anyway. We can also face disappointment in a more serious way. The most severe example of disappointment I can think of is the loss of a loved one. That disappointment involved with grief can be overwhelming. The disappointment but the loss of a loved one can just suck the air out of your lungs. As you try to picture what your future is going to look like without this person you hoped would be there. It's devastating, it's exhausting, and at times it is truly unbearable. The isolation that I have felt in those moments often convinced me that God must be a million miles away. Because surely, if he was close to me in those moments, I would feel him. Right? Well, today we're reading about two people who are facing the most severe type of disappointment I can think of. They're facing the loss of a loved one. Not only have they lost someone close to them, they lost someone that they believed was going to save them. They lost their teacher. They lost their friend. They lost their religion. Like that. When Jesus died, the two people that we're going to be reading about today were left trying to pick up the pieces. They were left wondering which pieces do they hold on to, which parts do they let go 
now that Jesus is no longer around. As they try to navigate a world without the person they thought for sure was going to save them, they thought for sure was going to lead them. In last week's verses, we learned about the women who went to the tomb to bring spices to cover Jesus' body with. Instead of finding Jesus, they found an empty tomb. And where the tomb entrance was, they found two angels who said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? With those words, the women ran back to the disciples. And they shared what they heard and what they saw. But the disciples were skeptical if what the women were saying, if what they were saying was really true. Is it true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Who has ever heard of such a thing like that happening? Those are the questions that the travelers are going to be asking themselves as they journey home, as they journey home after following Jesus. So let's read the first three verses in our section today. We're in chapter 24. We're going to be covering verses 13 through 35. Verse 13 says, The same day two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So it says in these verses, these two followers, they aren't the original 12 disciples, but they are followers of Jesus, says that they were walking to a village named Emmaus, and it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they could have been in Jerusalem because of the Passover. There's a lot of people that went to Jerusalem for the Passover. Or they could have been in Jerusalem because they were following Jesus. And Jesus led people to Jerusalem because that's where he ended up. But now Jesus has died on the cross and it's time for them to go home. And we find out that one of the people in this story is named Cleopas. Well, I think they'll say that in the next section of verses. And the other person is not given a name. And there's a good argument that the other person is maybe his wife. That's the theory that people have. We don't know for sure. It doesn't really matter. In fact, I kind of like that it's left empty because there's a perfect spot in the scriptures for us to fit. Each one of us in this room is officially invited to be the second traveler on this road today. The verses say that these two people are discussing everything that happened up to this point, maybe reliving what they experienced with Jesus, maybe trying to figure out what got us to follow him in the first place. Oh, yeah, he did do that miracle. That was real, right? Like you saw it. I saw it. Maybe they were saying, asking themselves questions, saying, yeah, but do we still do what Jesus taught even though he's dead? Do his words mean the same to you as before? These two are in the midst of severe disappointment, a real crisis. A real crisis has just happened to their faith and their plans for the future. And where is God in that disappointment? The verses we read today say that while they're having this conversation, a man begins to walk, begins to walk with him and listening to what they're saying. And Luke tells us right away that the man walking with him is Jesus. And so we learn from this that we don't always recognize when Jesus is with us. In verse 15, it says that Jesus drew near them. 
In the midst of their disappointment, Jesus drew near them, and they didn't even know it. They didn't recognize or understand just how close the answer for their disappointment was. I mean, think about it. In that moment, the very person they are grieving is so close that they could reach out and touch him. He was that close. So we have to ask ourselves, could it be possible after reading these verses to believe that Jesus is also that close to us? Is it possible that Jesus comes up beside us, beside us and draws near to us and we don't even know it? Is it possible that Jesus comes near to us and comes beside us in our most devastating moments of our lives? Is it possible that in those moments that we are crying out to God, asking where he is, that he's right next to us and sometimes we don't even know it? These verses say that not only is it possible, it's exactly where Jesus is. He is with us even when we can't see it. And better yet, he's with us just like these travelers, even when we don't believe it. Let's keep reading verses 17 through 24. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Love it. Uh, What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, we had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Don't look at that. Okay. (laughs) Spoilers. <laughs> uh, we'll get there very soon. Uh, I love this. I love how Jesus, knowing all of these things, wants to hear from them what's going on. It's, I feel like it's confirmation that our prayers to God, even though he knows what's going on, are very welcomed. He's not bored like, don't tell me I already know, or you're wasting your time. He's like, no, tell me. Tell me from your perspective what you think happened. I love that because sometimes I'm in conversations where I'm like, oh, I've talked way too much. I should stop, but that doesn't happen when you're praying. You know, it's like, no, God, you said I could talk as long as I wanted. (laughs) But we can share about our perspective with God and our life because he wants to hear from us. He wants us to talk with him and share about what we're going through, even in those disappointments, not just when things are going well and we're saying thank you, but in those times of uncertainty. Beyond that, I think it's interesting because these people have heard that Jesus is alive, but they are walking with sadness. They're not traveling 
As people with joy, like, yeah, he's alive, they're walking with sadness. Their hope, it was hoped, we hoped he would. And we learn from this that misguided expectations can prevent us from recognizing Jesus. Because even though they heard the women's testimony, at the very least I would say they're skeptical, but probably they didn't believe it, which I can't blame them. But these two had the expectation that Jesus was dead. They weren't looking for him nearby or expecting him nearby. And as a result, they didn't realize how nearby he actually was. They didn't realize that he was not dead. What these two saw as a failure in their mission was actually a success and standing right in front of them. What these two saw as a failure in their mission was actually a success and standing right in front of them. The most telling part to me is how the travelers share that they had hoped. They had hoped Jesus would redeem them. Is a past tense. They no longer hope. They hoped. And while I don't believe that their initial hopes were misplaced, the past tense of hoped tells us that they no longer believe it. And this is a common problem we have or a common problem I have in that if my personal hopes are not going according to the plan that I want, or they're not going to according to the plan that I think would be successful, immediately I think God's failed me. Or it's something I try to take into my own hands. Well, God's not here to help me, so it's up to me to figure this one out. It's up to me to make this dream, ambition, hope happen for myself. The Bible scholar N.T. Wright says, Quote, these travelers had been seeing Jesus as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But it was instead the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering. The travelers' words were, they crucified him, but we hoped he would redeem Israel. Actually turns into, they crucified him, and that was how he redeemed Israel. We must remember that we are not redeemed from suffering, but through suffering. While we might not have control over the situation and the disappointments that we face, we do have control over ourselves and what we choose to put our hope in. As followers of Jesus, we can now say, even though I hoped it would be different, I hoped Jesus wasn't going to die on the cross because he didn't deserve it. I hoped I would get this job. I hoped this family member was still here. I hoped my car would work. Even though I hoped it would be different because of Jesus, I have hope. I have hope in something bigger than this circumstance and bigger than this life. I have hope in a God who is in control. I have hope in Jesus. And with Jesus, can't lose. He's never lost a battle. Remember, we are not redeemed from suffering. We are redeemed through it. Which is actually kind of incredible when you think about it. Because that means even the worst things in life, like suffering, like death, cannot hold us back from Jesus and his plans for redemption. There is nothing that can stop our God There is no place of hurt. There is no barbed wire barrier that will stop our God from being right there with us. 
Let's keep reading verses 25 through 27. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard. It's sweet, isn't it? Uh, You foolish people. (laughs) You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining them all the scriptures, explaining from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Earlier in this story, the travelers on the road say to Jesus, are you crazy? How do you not know about Jesus? And then moments later, Jesus says, are you crazy? How do you not know about the prophets? How do you not know about the prophecies that said this exact thing would happen? Or the things Jesus told, said himself that this would happen. Again, they're misguided in their expectations of what Jesus was going to do. They were narrow-minded in their focus and did not consider the bigger picture. The many prophecies written about the Messiah and even the things Jesus himself said forecasting his own death. When the travelers described Jesus, they started with sharing about his ministry, which began three years before. They told what Jesus had done in the last three years, the baptism, miracles, teachings, all the way up to the cross and the women at the tomb. But when Jesus describes himself, he goes all the way back to the beginning. He doesn't go back three years. He goes all the way back to the beginning. It has been said that Jesus... And telling them the scriptures said the Messiah was the seed of a woman whose heel was bruised in Genesis. He was the blessing of Abraham to all nations, the burning bush speaking to Moses in Exodus. He was the Passover lamb that freed them from slavery. He was the atoning sacrifice in Leviticus. He was the bronze snake in Numbers, the captain of the Lord's host in Joshua, the messenger of the Lord in Judges. He was the kinsman redeemer in Ruth, the prophet to come in Deuteronomy, the righteous king like David, the returning redeemer in Job. He was the suffering savior in Psalm 22. He was the good shepherd in Psalm 23. The wisdom of God in Proverbs, the sheep led to slaughter in Isaiah, the branch of righteousness in Jeremiah the plant of renown in Ezekiel, the stone cut without hands in Daniel, the ideal of Israel in Hosea, the hope of the people in Joel, the Messiah was the heavenly gardener in Amos, the savior in Obadiah, the resurrection and the life in Jonah, the restorer in Micah, the declaration of peace in Nahum, the anointed one in Habakkuk, the mighty to save in Zephaniah, the desired of all nations in Haggai, the headstone of the house of God in Zechariah, and the son of righteousness with healing, rising with healing in his wings in Malachi. He was there from the beginning and through it all. And pointing to the sacrificial, sacrificial death on the cross and the end of death's reign over the earth. That is why what we do is so important. That is why week after week, we show up and we get into the word and we explore it and see what it has to say. To see what Christ has to communicate through his word. This redemption 
through disappointment, which seemed impossible before Jesus, is exactly what is unfolding here. Jesus guides us through this disappointment by leading us to his word. One of the great parts about this is that when we get into the word, we find ourselves in the story of redemption. We are not some B-team disciples bumbling through life's unhappy road. No, we are participants in God's grand play. We proudly take our place in this story that began with Adam and Eve and leads up to this moment right now. And when we neglect the scriptures, we ignore the important voice that clarifies. We ignore that important voice that clarifies God's perspective on our lives. Reading scripture helps us to keep in perspective the big picture of what is going on here. It's so easy to get caught up in our own lives and our own world of what's happening, just like the two travelers. But scripture brings us to a much bigger story with a proper perspective that we are with a God who is in control, a God who loves us. Let's finish up reading verses 28 through 35. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and gave, took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, he, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Uh, there we go. I was like, I think there's one more. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Jesus was known to them in breaking the bread. Let's think back to the Last Supper with Jesus when he was breaking the bread. Breaking that bread, saying, this is my body broken for you. And moments later, he was betrayed and sentenced to death. Let's go back even further to the first meal in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. (laughs) I thought so too. (laughs) Death is traced back to that singular moment. When eating that food, their eyes were opened. And now Luke borrows from that story to show a great redemption where death is no longer the final act. Here in this meal, the traveler's eyes were opened the moment Jesus breaks the bread. Then they suddenly realize it's Jesus and poof, he's gone. Jesus is showing them 
that they can't see him anymore the way that they used to. It's the same, but different. But even so, with Jesus disappearing, they're no longer devastated. They now have a hope. This story begins with them kind of slumpily walking down the road, sad. They go to a place where they convince Jesus it's late, we've got to rest, that's important. But with the new knowledge of Jesus being alive, they are running in the middle of the night to go back to share the good news. He is risen. And just like Jesus, these disciples are the same. These two followers are the same, but they too are also now different. These two travelers immediately go back to tell the other disciples the good news of what happened, showing us that Jesus reveals himself through communion and community. (laughs) Just like these two travelers, we often only get a glimpse of Jesus. We only get a glimpse of Jesus in these moments, but we are anchored to him through scripture. That being said, we never really know when Jesus is going to reveal himself to us through communion and community. After seeing Jesus, these two travelers ran to tell the disciples that they, like the women at the tomb, now also believe that Jesus is alive. They immediately went to share the news with others because it was never meant to be something that was protected, safe, and hidden. The original disciples are going to know through this story that Jesus is alive. Jesus reveals himself through these travelers. And he reveals himself today through you and I. Today, Kevin led us in breaking bread, a tradition that has continued in the Christian church for the last 2,000 years. Notice that we are not passing out fruit to remember what happened at the Garden of Eden and death's, you know, (laughs) the cost of death and the disappointment of death in our lives. No, we are here breaking bread and remembering that Jesus has conquered death. We take our place with our fellow Christians throughout history in this redemptive story of Christ. And we look for Jesus even in Florida. (laughs) We look for Jesus to reveal himself in Panama City Beach. We look for Jesus to reveal himself at Eastgate. On Sunday mornings, today, August 28th, we look for Jesus to reveal himself. And we continue, and we can continue to have open minds and open hearts to the different ways Jesus might be revealing himself. We know that he reveals himself through scripture, through worship. But he also reveals himself again through you and I in our conversations with one another with people in this room and outside this room during the week. And even when we can't see Jesus, these verses teach us that we can be confident that he is here, that he is here with us, walking alongside us, even when we don't know it. He's working through scripture and working through each one of us to reveal who he is to the whole world around us. So as we leave here today, let's remember, we don't always recognize when Jesus is with us. 
Let's stay open-minded. Let's stay open-minded to the ways that Jesus might be revealing himself to us and through us. Let's accept that it might not always look the way we hope or expect. Let's remember that these verses show us that Jesus reveals himself through scripture, communion, and community. And that in those moments of disappointment, in those moments of disappointment that we may face again, let's do our best to remember and believe that Jesus is right there with us. That he is loving and powerful enough to redeem all things, including suffering and including death. Right on? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for choosing to be with us. We thank you for listening to our prayers and caring about us. I'm so blessed by you. And I pray for the people in this community that we are able to see you. We're able to get that glimpse long enough to remember and believe that you are alive and you love us. You're right there with us, ready to redeem all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and we'll sing one more song before we go.
And before we speak the blessing, um, somebody we want to pray for, <laughs> uh, uh, Lisa and Jody. This is their last Sunday we just heard about. I got to say, you guys are so loved because during the first 45 minutes of the teaching, I had about half a dozen people come up to me like, it's their last week. We got to pray for them. So um, they're moving to, is it Brooklyn? Okay. They're moving to Brooklyn um, on Tuesday. And they said we could all visit as much as we want for free. So thank you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, but if a, people, a couple of people want to gather around them, we want to pray for you guys as you leave. Um, we love you so much. And we are going to miss you so much. Um, but we're excited for your adventure. All right. God, we lift up the Millers right now. We, they are such a blessing to this community. And we send them off confident that they will be a blessing in Brooklyn. We pray for their travels and their journey, that they get there safe. We pray for the new place they're living, that it feels like home. We pray that you guide them as they look for a new community. And we pray that you just bring the right people into their lives to help them feel loved. We know that you are with them on this journey. And we pray that you show glimpses of yourself along the way so they can be confident in who you are in this new adventure. God, we just ask for your blessing 
over this move. And we thank you so much that we get to have them in our lives for as long as we had here in Panama City Beach. We put them in your hands, and we know that in your hands, everything is safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. (laughs) All right, here's our blessing. We're going to speak this together before we go. Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do your will here like it's done in heaven. Provide for our daily needs. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. We confess you're in charge. You're our provider. Our lives are in your hands. Yes and amen.